Baruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchim Mevez Hashem Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. Levi Yitzchak Bardichev once said quoting from Davra Melech in the Holy Tehillim Perizayin Pasuk Vov Hashem Yisper B'chsev Amim the Almighty Count even in the Save Amim, the writings of the nations, and therefore he wished people Happy New Year's. The Rebbe told this once to Rabbi Sidney Hecht, Rabbi Sholem Hecht, on the Echidus that turned out to be on New Year's Eve. This year, as always, is dedicated to the Fuhr Shleima, Feliza Shlamis Bracha, Basrachal Hinda. She be blessed with long life and happiness and joy. Nachas from her children and good health. She have a speedy recovery of foolish lema. This Shabbos, Pashas Vayichi, Pashas Chazak, Chumash Bereshis. I've been lately referring to the archives for many things. We know we have to always tie in the beginning and the end of Teda. So much more so when it comes to the Chumash of the Teda. And the comparison, of course, that we made, the connection that we made between the beginning and the end of, Shem- of Breshis, which we spoke of many, many times. Tonight is Asara Batevis. There are many fasts in the course of the year, not many, there are fasts in the course of the year between Samgedalia, Tainas Esther, Shavasabatamus. We have those that are from in their own way they say I fast Tisha B'Av in Yom Kippur Tisha B'Av in Yom Kippur is all that I fast they're good for them the Almighty send them Kayach to be able to fast whenever they want to fast however Oh, I see clearly now. However, Asara Batevis is different. Asara Batevis is a fast which the Navi refers to as Be'etzem Ayim. This very day. The only other day referred to in that way in Be'etzem Ayim when it refers to Yom Kippur. And therefore, Asara Batevis has the severity similar to that of Yom Kippur. Therefore, although if a person used to fast 
one should not fast on a Friday. So you no cloth, huh? <laughs> one does not fast on a Friday because they should not fast straight into Shabbos. The fast should not go into Shabbos. However, it, when Asada Batavis comes out on a Friday, we do fast on Friday, and it goes into the Shabbos, and we break our fast with Kiddush. It's quite a Gishmaka thing. The fast until Friday night, and then uh, going on Mitzayim a whole day, and running around, and then the first thing you drink is a nice cup of wine. You make sure that it's a stronger than usual cup and it's stronger than usual wine. And your meal is totally different. The matzo balls are down, dancing in your soup by the time you get there. Um, huh? <laughs> Therefore, Asada Bateves, if it would be on Shabbos, which it does not come out on Shabbos according to the calendar has been established... It wouldn't come out on Shabbos. Then we would not. Be, then we would also fast. So therefore, it is a very stringent fast, and it's one that we should try our utmost to fast. Being tomorrow, as we said before, is New Year's, and many people will not be working. You are okay. You work for a Jew. Many people are not working. Therefore, it would be commendable if you don't, didn't until now strain yourself to fast on Asada Batevis to fast this time. All the hangovers from the New Year's Eve parties. So they're throwing up, they're not fasting. <laughs> well, they say, you know, the best way to avoid a hangover is stay drunk. Um, you just keep drinking can't get a hangover that way Sarah Batavis was the beginning beginning of beginning of the siege of Yerushalayim this is the day that Yerushalayim was sieged and that no one could go in and no one could go out this ultimately was the culmination of over a year later, Tishabov, the destruction of the Holy Temple. This went for over a year. Over, the, so it was over these holidays? Yeah. Wow. So it's nobody can go in, nobody can go out. It caused, of course, a lot of strife between people not being able to go in, not being able to go out. Um, technically it should have caused the opposite effect, it should have had the effect of the opposite soul should have been that much stronger because you're with your neighbor at all times you know, you see them all the time, this way they're not just traveling but ultimately, unfortunately the end result is the one that was the painful one but the end result was only because of the siege of Yerushalayim which the way it started um We need to understand the Jews 
lived all together, the Jews could not go in and out of Yerushalayim. Jews were forced, shall we say, to tolerate one another. Then it was a difficult time. But we have to understand what does it mean it was a difficult time. It's difficult because we need to cope with one another, we need to relate with one another. We need to be able to understand the attitude of another person, the behaviors of another person, the way of life. Everything's Ashkachapratis. I got a, an email this week, which I. It was a video clip, and I don't usually open these things. And I decided. Don't ask me why, because it was not out of boredom. It was a very rough week, actually. Um, I opened it. Ashkachapratis told me to open it. Divine Providence made me open it. And it was a story fellow told a story. He's a phenomenal storyteller, an Israeli boy, told it in Hebrew. The story goes as follows. Ahud Siddiqaya, the very holy, righteous boy, Bacha, that was traveling on a road. In those days, travel didn't mean with your Ferrari. It wasn't talking about uh, your Honda Accord. I wasn't talking about any kind of vehicle, you were walking. No bicycles either, this fellow was walking. No horse. He was walking, and he walked for days. And after this walking, and walking, and walking, he was exhausted, and he was extremely, extremely hungry. And he wandered into a courtyard. And the courtyard was blessed with apple trees. And he took one, and he took two, and he took three apples, and he ate, and he ate to his content. And he fell asleep. He was exhausted. When he finally came to, and he woke up, he realized he had eaten. He was satisfied from what he ate, but he also realized that what he ate was not his. It was a gzela. He stole these apples. They belong to somebody. And there's a house in the courtyard. So he walked over to the house and he knocked on the door. And this young boy opens the door and he bursts out crying, this fellow, and he says, please, please, you must forgive me. I've sinned. I came to your courtyard. I was totally, totally disoriented. And I I just fell into your courtyard. I was on the verge of dying of hunger and I saw your apples and I ate them and they were Mechaya Nefesh and they brought me back to life, literally. But, they were yours, not mine. I didn't pay for them. I stole them. Even if you tell me, even if I pay for them now, it's too late, I still, Bishas Maisa was Gezela and therefore I need you to forgive me, please. And the fellow says, okay, I can forgive you on condition anything anything name your condition anything 
condition, I have a sister who needs to get married. I'm available. I'm looking for a shidduch anyway. Accept it. If that's my punishment, no matter what she'll be, it's, enough, it's good enough for me as long as I know I'm forgiven for my sin. There's one problem with my sister. What's her problem? She doesn't see. She doesn't see. No. She doesn't see. This is part of my kapara. Mm-hmm. This is part of how I have to forgive, be forgiven. This is what I will do. I will marry her. Please go over to the next door. Knock on the door to my other brother. And he goes to the other brother. And the other brother, he cries again. I was weary of my travel. And I've been walking for days. I had no food, no rest. And I stumbled <laughs> in your yard. And I partook of your apples. It was gzela, I stole. And I need to be forgiven. Please, please forgive me. And the brother says, I will forgive you on condition. What's the condition? That you marry my sister. Already agreed to marry the sister. But there's a problem with my sister. As I know, she doesn't see. No. Not only she doesn't see, she doesn't hear. She doesn't hear either. No. Oh. But you'll forgive me if I marry her. Yes, you'll have Mechila that it's worth it I'll marry her it's good, wonderful go to the other door over there and tell my brother he comes to the third brother and again repeats the story of his weariness of his exhaustion and of his sin and he says please your other brothers forgave me please you too forgive me so I can forgive you but on condition he says what is your condition that you marry my sister so of course I'll marry your sister. I'm marrying her already anyway. But she has a problem. She has a problem. I know. She doesn't hear and doesn't see. She knows that. We know she has a problem. No. She doesn't speak. She doesn't speak. She doesn't hear. And she doesn't see. No. But you'll forgive me if I marry her. If you marry her, you will have complete forgiveness. I'm asking. I agree. As long as I be forgiven for these sins, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Just please go to my brother behind that room and just clear with him. And he comes to the fourth brother. And he knocks on the fourth brother's door. And the fourth brother says yes. And he tells him again the story. And again the tears are flowing because he sees that it's getting harder and harder to be forgiven and he needs to be forgiven by all of them and if he's not forgiven by all of them then this sin will always remain with him and he has sinned he stole these these apples and the fourth brother says to him I will forgive you but on condition what is the condition that you marry my sister he says of course I'm going to marry your sister but you have to understand my sister has a problem I says, you know, she doesn't hear, 
She doesn't see and she does not speak. She doesn't go either. She doesn't go. No. She doesn't eat. She doesn't speak. She doesn't sleep in a cup. This. She doesn't eat. She doesn't speak. She doesn't hear. She doesn't see. And she doesn't go either. No, she does not go either. Mm-hmm. I'm agreeing. Mm-hmm. You will forgive me? Thank you. He says, yes, I'll forgive you if you do that. If you marry her. If you will forgive me, I will marry her. But, I have a condition. What is your condition? My condition is, I don't want to see her until after the wedding. Until after we're married, I don't want to see her. And they say, granted. Granted, no problem. Well, the wedding is planned, and the wedding is set up, and the wedding is, takes new, a beautiful, beautiful wedding. After the wedding, the chas and kala go home to their home, and the chas sits down with the tilim, and he's thanking God. He's saying, thank you, Hashem. They have it inside. Thank you, Hashem, that I merited to be forgiven for this terrible sin, for this gazela that I stole these apples. And as he's talking and praying to Hashem, he hears a voice. My husband, may I prepare you a cup of tea? (laughs) Who said that? This is me, your wife. And he goes into the kitchen, and there standing in the kitchen, and cooking and preparing is a beautiful, beautiful woman. And she's speaking, and she hears, and she sees, and she walks. Immediately the chassan goes and he grabs his coat, and he runs out. And he runs to the house of the brothers. He says, what have you made fools of me? Why have you made such a foolish, why do you make me look like such an idiot? said the brothers, what do you mean we made you look like an idiot? Collectively you told me she doesn't see, she doesn't speak, she doesn't hear, she doesn't go. And yet, she's standing in my kitchen, a beautiful woman speaking and hearing and looking and walking back and forth. Hi, my son. Let us explain to you. She does not hear what you're not allowed to hear. She does not see what you're not allowed to look at. She does not speak what you may not speak. And she does not go to places that you may not be at. We saw that you too were such a tzaddik. We saw your righteousness. How you wanted so, so sincerely to be forgiven. So we realized therefore that you are the right match for our sister, who is also a very, very great Sadekis. And that is why we thought we wanted you to marry her. The Yidin coexisted in Yerushalayim and Akedish. They coexisted for months on end with their neighbors 
not able to go out, not able to walk out, not able to leave Yerushalayim, and not able to get visitors or outcoming or people from the outside. Obviously, they had no internet, and they had no Skype, they had no Tango, they had no FaceTime. It was just them and their neighbors. They needed to learn not to speak, not to hear, not to look, not to go. They needed to learn how to forge a true righteousness coexisting with their fellow Jew. It is a son of Atavis that teaches us this very lesson. It is a son of Atavis which we are fasting for what happened then. We are fasting for the lack of Avis Yisrael that took place, for those who did see, and those who did look, and did go, and did speak. And it's therefore, this Asara Batavis, which happens to be the new year, we should make resolutions. We should make achlotas. Resolutions not to speak, not to hear, not to look, and not to go, not to do things, that a Jew is not allowed to do, but to purify ourselves, to elevate ourselves to a level where when one looks at us, when one refers to us, they would see the righteousness automatically. Similarly, in this week's Pasha, Pasha Vayechi begins, Yaakov is dying. And we'll discuss soon Vayechi, the life of Yaakov, Vayechi Yaakov, is the name of a parasha talking about Yaakov's death. Sorry. Yaakov calls in Yosef and his sons, Menashe and Ephraim. And he says, Menashe, Ephraim, Kiruvain, Vishim, and Yuli. They are just like my own sons. Yaakov is complimenting Yosef. Yosef, you did an exemplary job. You raised children in Ervas Ha'oretz, in the lowest possible land, the most despicable land. Yet you raised children here, and you brought them up at such a level, Kiruv Meshim and Yuli, they're like my own children. Well, one of the reasons it says Reuven Vishimin is because Reuven and Shimon are Gematria Menashe Ephraim. Yeah, it gets, it gets powerful there. Okay. Um, Yaakov is complimenting Yasef on his upbringing of his children. But let us sit and think a minute. How did he do it? How did Yosef manage to raise two children in Erevasar? It's the most despicable of lands. At such a tremendous, it's high caliber.
such a high caliber, at such a great level, so much so that Yaakov recognizes and says, they're like my own children. Usually early morning is times for, it's the best time to reflect and to, to study and to grasp things and to have an open mind, a clear mind early in the morning. So at 5.40, Monday morning, I was sitting at 7.70, after the mikveh, and I was torturing people with this question. I was posing this question to the people, and people, all the different people were, were just flabbergasted. Flabbergasted. Because Yaakov was in Yasef's mind. When Yaakov, when Yasef confronted Aisha's Petifar, what saved him? He saw Yasef Maris Aviv. He saw Yaakov in front of him. And that held him back from sinning. We have today pictures of Gidalim, of Gainim, of Rabbeim, of Rabbis. Every Siddhisha house has a picture of the person that they look up to. We have pictures of the Rebbe on the wall. For what? Not just to cover my fuse box on the wall. The picture of the Rebbe on the wall is everyone should see your eye should see the tzaddik in front of you. So that itself, a picture, helps a person along with his daily strife. I will not tell you that it happens often, unfortunately, but there are times that I'll stop and talk to that picture of the Rebbe. And I'm not alone in that. That I know for sure. So therefore I'm not embarrassed to say it. There are many people. And there's a famous, famous story which I've told once by Ashir. A person in Rahman al-Islam had a child that was very, very ill. He had the sickness. And the child was just not really getting better. And it was a few days before, a, few, a week before Pesach. And the man was doing his Svarim Shtibel. He was doing his room where all his books were. And he had taken the picture of the Rebbe off the wall. He was doing the wall behind it. The picture was on the table. And the picture was still on the table and he was doing one of the Svarim, one of the books, and the phone rang. And the phone rang... And it was the doctor. And the doctor says to him, I have not very good news. Child took a turn for the worse. I don't know how much longer he can hold out. The man was so frustrated. He took the safer that was in his hand and he threw it to Rebbe's picture on the table. And he said, Rebbe, you promised me the child be well. P.S. A day, a week later, child was home for Pesach. Child was home for Pesach. 
And after Pesach, they got back all the reports in the labs saying the child is fine. A few weeks later, which is the Yomtev of Shavuos, this fellow traveled to the Rebbe. And he came to be by the Rebbe for Shavuos. On Matzai Shavuos, after Fabring, the Rebbe gave out Kesha Bracha. And the Rebbe would give each person in their cup a drop of wine from his only cup, from his whole, holy cup. And the Rebbe would say, L'chaim Lebrachem. This fellow came in front of the Rebbe with his cup out. As the Rebbe poured in, the Rebbe looked at him, L'chaim Lebrachem, said the Rebbe, Zos visna de klap tut you should know that the bang still hurts. This is a picture of the Rebbe. So when I tell you we talk sometimes to a picture of the Rebbe, don't minimize it. It's a lot more severe than we think it is. Yasef didn't have a picture of his father even. It wasn't sure he had a picture of his father in the dining room and then every time the children walked in he said, oh, this is our tzaddik, our grandfather who lives in Canaan. This is a picture of Yitzchok, his... his his father, and Avraham, his father, he didn't have these pictures on the walls. What did Yosef sell them? What was Yosef putting forth? And I will say the truth. Nobody had an answer. They didn't have Shein Ve'ever. They didn't have the yeshiva there. So my wife told, says that Yosef had himself as a living example. His what was, but what was his living example? Emes. He was truthful, and since he was truthful, and there was no mixed messages that the children were getting from him. By not having any mixed messages, this is what kept them on the straight and narrow. But not just the straight and narrow, but kept them in a level that their grandfather, Yaakov, saw in them his own children. It's definitely have hands and feet to take to it. Yes. There's no salsa. Yaakov tells Yosef, we've discussed this already before, on Parshvayichi, Yaakov was very, very scared of Yosef. He was scared that Yosef was going to tell him, I'm not burying you in Hebron. Because remember, you didn't bury my mother there either. So Yaakov goes through the dialogue Vani and And I buried her there on the road. So Yaakov is telling Yasef why it happened. They happened to be traveling and then had she died there. 
And Rashi explains what is Yaakov in essence saying. Don't think it was my own idea. This was from God Himself that I buried her there. She should be a help for her children. When they're going to be sent down into Golis, into exile, they stop there to pray. And Yatzar Rachel, Al Kivro, Vibeichom, Avakshim, Aleim Rachim, Vagetras, Aleim Rachim. And Rachel goes out from her caver and cries to the Almighty, Have Rachmanis for my, ch- on my children. And we know the famous, famous Medrash called Kirl Birama Nishma. And the voice is heard. Mm-hmm. Whose voice is heard? Excuse me, above everyone else's. Rachel Imenu. And the Almighty says to her, Yesh Sacha Lefulaseich. Yesh Sacha Lefulaseich. Veshavubanim Ligvulam. There's merit in all that you have done, and we know, we've discussed already also, how she says to the Almighty, you're supposed to be more compassionate than I am, I'm only a human being, and you're God. And I had compassion to my own sister, I gave away my husband. Where's your compassion to the Jewish children? Rashi writes, back in Vayetze, Perik Lamed Aleph, Pasik Dalid, chapter 31, verse 4. The Rashi titled the word Vayikra, She was the mainstay of the house. And Medrash and Bereshit Rabba also says the same. Rachel Hoysa Ikrish Because it says, Yeshus Yaakov, it talks about Rachel. Pasik says it. So everybody explains because Rachel was the main staying wife. We find when it comes to the women, Jewish women, there's a mission in Masechus Kedushin for those keeping score at home, 29 side A, Chavtes Amaralev. Pturis Mimitsa Seishas Mangrama. Women are potter from mitzvahs asay, shazman grama, mitzvahs, positive commandments that are because of time, the time sensitive. Sorry? No. That's not said. And the Chaim Pturis and Ahmed Beis, the same Ahmed, it says, they're also potter from Talmud Tera. And the Rishonim bring down. What is the reason behind this? The women have the responsibility of keeping up the house. from these things. So we find, therefore, women have a tremendous power of exemption here.
in order that they should be able to keep up the Akeres Abayah status. The open spirituality of serving Hashem, they're exempt from. Because what takes the priority? They're taking care of the household chores. So when one learns Teda, when one does Mitzvah Sasei, they know that they are spiritually connecting with the Almighty at that very moment. Yet the woman is exempt from doing so because she needs to take care of the house first. And this is her service to God. For this she is created. Man, on the other hand, they have to do things that are openly spiritual, openly holy. This is therefore why Rachel Emenu was buried on the road, and not Yaakov Avinu. What? Because Rachel had Rachel was the Akeres Habayis. Rachel has this Maila that she could be mevater hundreds and thousands of years on the burial in a place where it's openly holy, the Maras Machpela in order that she should be with the Jews in a situation, an unwanted situation so that she can be she can be helped to her children and this is therefore the mission of the woman and the greatness of the woman and this is how Yaakov you know, answers Yasef why his mother is not buried in Marasa Machpelah, and why he should take him to be buried in Marasa Machpelah. Standards. Why do people have double standards? Double standards. We see, Yaakov, you know, passes away, and it says, "Vayisu Eisay is bana Eisay bana of Artzakanan, vayikbaru Eisay." His sons took him; they carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him. Says Rashi, "How this is pshutish amikra? I'm not sure, but this is how Rashi explains it to the child. Levi Yisa. Levi could not carry." Shehu Asid lost his Aaron from the future, he carries the Aaron of Hashem. Yasef couldn't carry because he is a king. So instead of Yasef and Levi, the Menashe Ephraim. He carried his own. Yeah. Levi was not allowed to carry an Aaron. Okay? Because. He has in the future to carry the Aaron of Hashem. 
Let us fast forward a few weeks. Shmeis v'eda v'bishalach. In Bishalach, the Jews are leaving Egypt in Amaz the Gisha. What does it say in Bishalach? Vayikach Mesha Atzmis Yesef. Ime. Mesha takes the bones and the urn of Yesef Hatzadik with him, himself. Let us do a. Uh, a DNA check, or let us do an Ancestry.com check, and we find out Meisha comes from Shevet Levi. Which part of Shevet Levi? From the sons of Kahos. What was Kahos's job? To carry the Aaron. So how is it possible that Meisha carried the Aaron of Yosef? He brought it up. He took it out, it says. He took it out of Mitzrayim. It was his personal... Um, merit. We're living on a double standard. Here, Levi couldn't carry Yaakov, but here, a Levi carries Yosef. Shevet Levi, we know, did not work in the servitude of Egypt. Shevet Levi was not part of the work work task. Why? For that very same reason. We have to work in the Beis HaMikdash. We have to work carrying an Aron. We cannot work building Egyptian cities. And Pare didn't come right away and tell everybody to become my slave. Pari was a conniving SOB. Pari came first and said, you guys got good heads. I need you to be managers. I need you to be foremen, overseers. People gladly got involved. They gladly got involved because it was a right position. It was politically correct, connected. You made a connection. You had great major. You ranked. You worked. For, there's a woman chasing a mouse. <laughs> That's the screaming. It's not. We don't uh, practice the servitude of Egypt here. <laughs> and each time we talk about the servitude, hit the woman and see if she's going to scream. Um, she's chasing a mouse in the kitchen, and the mouse so far is winning three nothing, okay. four nothing. Okay. Uh, wow. So they did not. L'chadchila become slaves. L'chadchila, at the beginning, they were the foremen, they were the bosses. Eventually the roles changed and turned around, and they all became slaves. Shevet Levi said L'chadchila, uh-uh, no can do. We do not work in this field work. We are... Kedesh Hashem. 
were sanctified for service to God, we don't do these things. And since they didn't even start to get their fingers wet with these things, they didn't end up being slaves. But on what basis, what was their formula? On the basis that they were the ones that served Beis Hamidosh. We find, therefore, the concept of carrying the Aaron caused them not to have any connection at all with Shibud Mitzrayim, with servitude of Egypt. The fact that they were carrying the Aaron took them totally out of the picture when it came to servitude. Where did the servitude start? Chazal tell us as long as Yaakov was alive, there was no slaves. Jews are not slaves as long as Yaakov was alive. So therefore, it was only after Yaakov's passing, Yaakov, you know, passes away, then begins the whole problem here with his servitude. Rashi says, came and shenifted Yaakov, you know, nistmu as soon as Yaakov Avinu passed away, the eyes of the Jews became closed, and their hearts, from the tzara, from the torture of the servitude, which they started to serve. So the fact that Levi did not carry the Aaron of, of Yaakov Avinu, why? Because they're going to carry the Aden of the Eivishter. Is hand in hand with the idea, the concept of the servitude. Just like they didn't become slaves because they're going to carry the Aden. Therefore they couldn't have anything to do with the beginning of the servitude, which is the carrying of Yaakov's Aden. By carrying Yaakov's Aden, his coffin... They were starting the servitude. But Levi had nothing to do with the servitude. And therefore they did not carry the Aaron. On the other hand, Meshe Rabbeinu took the Atzimus Yosef. Because the coffin of Yosef signified just that. That the Shibud of Mitzrayim has come to an end. The, the bones of Yosef leaving Egypt was the message that the Geula has now come about. Yosef himself says, The Almighty will redeem you. When the Almighty will redeem you, you take my bones out. In other words, my bones will go out with the redemption. Going out with the redemption, what is the whole idea now of the redemption? To go to the base of the throne, to go to Mount Teda, to go to get the, the Lucas on the Sinai, the Teda on Sinai. And where did the Lucas go into? They went into Aden to be carried. So the whole Takas Kavana of the Geula, the whole idea of this Geula, was in order that they should start be able to carry the Aden 
Therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu from Shevet Levi was able to carry the Aron. But Yaakov has a problem with his other boys. He has a little problem with his little Shimon and Levi. Yes, Achem, 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 your brothers. Today, Maltovi Nafshi, Bikaholam, Vialtechat Kvedi, Kiva Apom Horgu Ish. And he finishes off Or Apom, Ki Oz, Vevrosom, Kikshosa. Let my soul not enter their conspiracy. Let my honor have no part in their assembly. For in their wrath they killed a man. A man, Ish. In their wrath they killed a man. They're talking about Shimon and Levi. Cursed be their rage, for it is fierce, and their fury, for it is harsh. First of all, i got to tell you, this Pasuk also, Yaakov is also foretelling the Shidduch crisis of our generation. He says, Kiva apam hargu Ish. The apam here refers to the wrath, but apam also means their nose, the af of the person. And keep afam horguish. When you come to a person, you say, "Oh, I have a shidduch," or you ask somebody, "What do you say about this person for a shidduch?" They go, mm. "They don't say much. They just twist their nose a little bit. They put their nose up a little bit, and horguish. They kill the whole shidduch without even saying anything." So he already prophesied the Shidduch crisis from then. The message explains why does it say the man, not say plural, the men, the whole city of Shechem, but rather the man, Shimon Alevi, killed in their wrath. It refers to the entire male population. Yaakov calls them, refers to them only as a man. Because the truth was, in front of Shimon and Levi, they were like one man. So in that case, if they were so great, Shimon and Levi, and they could decimate this whole town like it was one person, why is Yaakov so upset with them? Why does he refer to this as rage and fury? The truth is, Yaakov is not upset with the destruction of Shem. They deserved it. In fact, the way they did it was didn't show the actual severity of the issue. But it showed a little bit of displeasure of their rage-driven actions. Yaakov ultimately agreed the killing of Shechem was justified. What was his actual problem, though? Shimon and Levi were deceitful. They lied. They promised Shechem peace if everybody cuts off a piece. 
if everybody has a bris, they'll make peace with them. We'll become brothers, we'll do shidduchim together, it'll be great. And they exploited this fact that they were weak on the third day, and because they were all weak on the third day after the bris, they wiped them all out. But they violated the peace agreement. They acted like Hamas. This deceitfulness was for Yaakov a disgrace. This is what upset him. So Yaakov rebukes Shimon and Levi and he says, Considering your ability to wipe out an entire city in one shot, like it was killing one man, there was no reason to deceive them. You could have confronted and attacked the entire city, one, two, three. Honorably. So that's why Yaakov curses their anger. Because they recognize their ability to met out punishment on these people. But they should have recognized it without resorting to, resorting to trickery. They should not have lied. And this brings us back to what we said before of, Yaku, of the explanation as to how Yasef was so successful. He didn't lie. He was an honest fellow. We said before that the name of the Pashas reflect on the Pasha. How, how, how ironic is it then that Yechi Yaakov refers to a Pasha that Yaakov is dying. Vayechi itself, the word Vayechi, is Gematia 34. Vav is 6, the 2 yuds are 10, 10 is 26, and the 8 is 34. Yaakov Vino lived in Egypt 17 years. Prior to Yosef being sold, Yaakov had Yosef for 17 years. By Yechi Yaakov, the life of Yaakov, when was it at its best? The 34 years he spent with Yosef. All that, when you touch one year, it's nothing. 34 years of the child, he yeah. He died at 135? So, uh, so now we have to understand what is the connection of this name of the parsha to a parsha that talks about total different, total opposite. The real concept of life only lives in something that that exists without without any change. There's a mission in Mishnayis Pora. Periches Mishnah test for those who are keeping score at home. Shinaharitz Amisyavshin. Achas Hashem Ashonim. Mikroim Naharitz Amachazim. Rivers that dry up once every seven years are considered Naharitz Amachazim, and therefore they are possible for Mechatas. The waters that they need for Echatas cannot be taken from these water rivers because they are not considered Mayim Chayim. Because they dry up. 
And therefore, the true amit, the true metzias of Chayim is only by God. Concept of Chayim is something that's perpetual. Perpetual is only by God. Yimya Navi says, chapter Yud, Pasuk Yud, chapter 10, Pasuk 10, verse 10, V'ashem alikim emes, hu alikim Chayim. God's truth, God lives. And therefore Chaim refers to and refers to God. Because his Metzius is true. It never changes, never alters, Chazshom. It never stops. When it comes to creations of the world, they have existences. They exist for X amount of time and then they don't, they cease. And therefore you can't call them Chaim Amitim. However, when one is attached to God, therefore the Jews who are attached to God are called Chaim. Like we say, V'atem hadveikim ba'avayelekeichem Chaim kulchem But in order for this to be true connection, true life, we need to come through the actual physical world, world Elam, comes to the word Helem, hidden, which hides the truth, and we have to overcome all our tests, all the things that disturb us, not to see where we shouldn't see, not to hear what we shouldn't hear, not to speak what we shouldn't speak, not to walk where we shouldn't go. And then you can ultimately reveal this true bottom line life and attach ourselves to God without without any change. Now we understand Vayechi Yaakov. The reason that this parsha is called Vayechi Yaakov, not anyone before it, it talks about the life of Yaakov. The years of prior to this, they did not see definitely his life. Of the Because of the generalization of Tambat, Rajim Mezcha. First, he cannot believe in himself until the day of his death. Again, Mishnah Pirkeyovis, Perik Bey's Mishnah Dalit, if you give me score at home. And this is said also to about Sadiqim. Yaakov himself didn't shame Yigrim Hachet. Maybe this sin, this sin caused him to die. This sin caused him to die. So even when attached to the Abishta in Eretz Yisrael, and all the trouble Nebuchadnezzar suffered, all the things that he went through, he lived Vayechi Be'emes. Even if it doesn't come out that all his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, etc., remain Sadiqim. But it's impossible to know that. How their matzah will be in Erevah But now, as he was coming to his death, after he went down to Egypt, and he went through everything that went through in Erevah still in all, 
he remained Mishlemus, they remained Mishlemus, and all intact, until the last moment of his life, did he see the concept of Mitosa Yishlema, his bed was complete, where all his children followed in his way, then it becomes revealed to him, the Chathchila, his actual existence, his actual life. He sees that everything that he went through, the fruits that it bore, they were all equal good. Even though the Pasha speaks about his passing, and the time after his passing, that as I'll tell us, for those keeping score at home, just as he lived, his children lived, so he lives. And therefore it says, Yaakov Leimais. Because the truth is, the life of Yaakov comes in Zari Bechayim. And since the Chayim Amitim, this is Chayim Nitzchim. And therefore it's recognizable that his life, his true life, Tafka, when he sees the Nitzchiyusam, and the Zari Bechayim, this is the Chayim, this is the true Chayim Amitim of connection to God. And now we understand the reason why this is called Vayichi, because it brings out, after the Ptira, Vayichi Yaakov, it brings out his true life and his true way of life and his true accomplishments of life. And that, therefore, is what we aspire to do when we say when we say by Yechi Yaakov, the concept of Yaakov lives, Yaakov leimais, the concept of our leaders that do not and will not die, and that is why we look forward to this Shabbos, following even Asada Betavis, which hopefully we will not have to fast. Because we will find ourselves in Yerushalayim and we will go and see the truth and we will live the life of truth in the way of truth, in the way of our fathers, the way of Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov and Mesha will be the one that will start the Geula with the bringing out of Yosef as it brings down also in this week's Parsha. The Balaturim says, Yavai Shilai, the concept of Atki Yavai Shilai, Shilai is Gematria Mashiach, and Shilai is Gematria Mesha, Mesha Gael Rishin, Mesha Gael Achrein, and therefore he too will come this very Shabbos before us, and we'll hear Teira Chadosha Mi'ite Teitzei, and we'll be Zecha to be in Yerushalayim Yerakedish, Shabbat Shalom to all. Amen. Thank you.